0: Hey, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, little review about the, the first section of chapter 4, the temptations of Jesus, that he gave us an example to follow and, and we all face temptation, we all face the battles, anybody remember the, the three battle fronts? See if we get it this time, anybody remember the three battle fronts are? The world... The flesh and the devil. Three battlefronts we face temptations and tests of the world around us. Our own flesh and then the enemy and his forces. Jesus fe- uh, faced three different uh, tests here, temptations here. And note, We noted that he was weak and he was alone. He had had this real high point. And, but the enemy came and spoke to him and, and prodded him really to, to look out for number one. To feed the flesh. Do whatever you want to do. And of course, he answered with scripture, and he didn't just quote the scripture, but he, Jesus was one who knew the scripture and he lived by the scripture and he believed it. It was part of who he was, as we all know. Uh, Jesus said that scripture man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's, What's important is what God says, not what the enemy says, not what the world or the flesh say, but what does God say about it. That's what's important. The second test, he was tempted to put God to the test. He was tempted to, you know, do what the enemy quoted scripture as well, and to, to jump off this building and, that, you know, just see if God will take care of you like he said he would. And kind of, a, you know, at his po- a point of his faith. Do you really trust God or not? Well, it's, you know, if you trust God, that doesn't mean you're going to put him to the test. But if you trust God, you trust him in all facets of life. And then number three, he was tested to and tempted to take a shortcut. To take a shortcut that, you know, if he would just bow down and worship Satan, he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world would become Jesus's anyways at a certain point in time. So to do that would just be you know taking a shortcut and avoiding what Jesus knew he needed to do, which was go the way of the cross, avoid the suffering, take a shortcut around the suffering, around the cross, and we're so so glad that he didn't. But but the the cost, the cost was a very very high cross, a cost to to worship Satan. And uh, Jesus, it says he he said to him, away from me, for it is ri- for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he resisted and. And he, and he taught us that, you know, there's only one worship. You can't be divided in your worship. you gotta, you got to have a pure worship. And, and uh, we'll see as we get into the Sermon on the Mount about Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. That, that sincere, pure devotion to Jesus, to the, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for you and I, let me read to you that verse one more time. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You've got to know where that is. We all face this stuff. You've got to know where the Scripture is so you can, you can hold on to it. And you can fight the good fight. There's times when we need to resist. There's times we need to flee. But we always need to be on guard. One thing I want to add to that before we move on is this idea of restoration. Let's say that, you know, we're not successful in our battles against these temptations. What do you do? You just crawl into a hole for the rest of your life and give up? No, the scripture makes it very, very clear that that we're to get up and we're to go on. And for those, you know, those are around, in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So there's this idea of restoration, the idea of those that are, that are around this person, to help them, restore them, bring them back. Because the enemy would like nothing more than to just like, hammer you down into the ground. Keep you from getting up and keep you from going on. and but Paul goes on to say, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And, and then he says to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. To carry one another's burdens. Carry, helping each other. We've got to help each other through this. I don't know what to do with my hands. You know, I was watching Angelina, and she like, talked with her hands. Like I'm not sure what to do with my hands. And then he said to... And can you turn to Micah chapter 7? No. Can you turn to Micah chapter (laughs) 7? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, the sixth book of the minor prophets. I want you to read this verse, these verses with me. Uh, Micah chapter 7, if you need to look in in your index, that's okay too, as long as you get there. This is so important. These verses like, are, are like jewels in the middle of this, of this uh, Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. Let's start in verse 7, Micah 7, 7. And, and you need to, know, again, know where this is. If you fall, if you stumble, if you don't make it, turn to these verses. Know where they are. Why? Because look, look what it says here, verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. He says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against Him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until He pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like fire in the streets. Though I have fallen, I will rise. How? With the Lord's help. He says, I watch and hope for the Lord. You know, we're not, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to make it right every single time. But he says, though I have fallen, I will rise. The Lord will be my light. He's going to lift me up out of this darkness, out of this pit, out of this despair, out of this place of no hope. That's important and, and keep these passages in mind. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 4 because there's a, a theme in those passages that I find here in the section we're looking at today here in, in Matthew chapter 4. Look at, at verse 12 where we left off. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Now, we're in this gospel, it's not like Jesus never did anything, but in this gospel, we're now moving into the public ministry of Jesus and that in the account of Matthew's account of of Jesus's public ministry there were some things that he actually did before this time and you can find those in in uh, in uh, other places in the gospels but we see here in Matthew's account you know these things that are happening John the the Baptist he'd been put in prison now Jesus goes back to Galilee but Jesus had had this time, right, of, of uh, private, individual testing, right? We, we just looked at that whole section. So he's had this time of indiv- individual, private testing. And, and so often it's also true that you go from this time of, of private testing before you get to the public ministry. God has to, you know, work in us in the, in the private times, in the, in the quietness of our own hearts, we don't just jump into some public kind of thing without going through again. You know, there, there, maybe there are shortcuts that people can take, but you know what? God's way is always the way that He wants to work in us before He can work through us. I find that to be true, and I, I've seen it so often true in my own life and in the life of the people around me. Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, and, and John the Baptist, you know, he was, he was kind of... He, we, we kind of compared him, didn't we, to, to Joseph. Joseph was very quiet, Joseph being the you know, like the stepfather of Jesus. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's just radical. He speaks out to anybody and everybody. And he had spoken to the, the ruler of the area, Herod the Tetrarch, because this guy had pretty much uh, seduced his brother's wife and got her to divorce her husband, to come and then marry him, you see. And it, and it was all wrong. And, and, and John the Baptist wasn't afraid to say, listen, man, what are you doing? This isn't right, what you are doing. These kinds of things are not right. He wasn't afraid to, to be confrontational. And, and you say, well, we're not all called to be confrontational. Well, yeah, we're not all. We all uh, you know, have different gifts and different callings. And, and uh, some people are, are just very confrontational, in their, and that's their style. And that was where, where John was, but John spoke boldly like this, and it, he ended up in prison because of it. Jesus hears about it, and, and we'll, we'll hear more about this later on, about John, John the Baptist, but Jesus says he, he returns to Galilee. And, and I think we know this, that Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee, right? He was crucified in Jerusalem, and he'd, be, he'd go back and forth, and, and, and you know, when he was a baby, he had gone with his parents' where? To Egypt. And so he traveled around a little bit when he was little, but but in his adult life of ministry, really, he spent most of his time around the area of Galilee. And the, the area of Galilee is about 50 miles um, north to south and about 25 miles east to west. It's about the size of Rhode Island. Jesus Christ spent most of his time in a little place called Galilee, and it had a lot less. People than Rhode Island does right now, uh, mind you. He spent most of his life there. This guy who we know to be the savior of the world, the whole planet. But he spent most of his time right there, and he never, you know, never, uh, other than going to Jerusalem after this, you know, in 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 Israel, never left Israel. The savior of the world. It says here that he, in verse 13, look at this, he says that he, he left Nazareth. Now, he, he, he was in Nazareth in a part, in part of this area of Galilee. It's a part of Galilee. It says he, he left Nazareth and he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. He went, his hometown where he had grown up was Nazareth, right? He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. But he then moves to, and basically his base of operations then became uh, the town, uh, the little town of Capernaum, which was right on the Sea of Galilee. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4 for a minute, though, because it, it kind of fills in a little bit of the gaps of why he ended up going to Capernaum. Look, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Matthew marked Luke It says there that he went, that is Jesus, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as we just mentioned. And he says, on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He went into the synagogue and he pulls out this, this scroll, this scroll of Isaiah and he says, wow, he reads this and look what he says about it. Verse 20, he says, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and they were all watching him. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying "Today, to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, basically, I am the one. I am the one that this passage in Isaiah is talking about. Again, the Savior of the world. The one who's been anointed, the Messiah. In verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? In verse 23, he says, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Then jump down to verse 28. He says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He went to his hometown and he says, you know, this is what the deal is: that no profit is accepted because of the familiarity in his own hometown. How many of you have that, you know, struggle with trying to share with people in your own family? They know you, they know who you are, they know what you were like, they know how, you know. Need I say? I remember, I remember a time, you know, sharing when I was a. a a real new believer and I, I it was Christmas time and I wanted to share with my family and I said to my father, I said, Can we get together, you know, like a little bit? And and so I I uh I gave him the 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 Christmas story. You know, I sat down with my father, my mother and whoever else was around at the time. And uh, you know, it I thought it went okay and everything and I had a lot of zeal and everything. But later on he came to me and he said, you know what? That's all good that what you say and everything, but you know, right now your your life is kind of like messed up. Like you're living here, you don't have a job, you're just like a mooch. <laughs> and you know, I was I was so convicted, you know. I said, you know, hey, you're right. And so and it was like a good swift kick in the rear and I went out and got a job and I and I and I got an apartment. I did what I needed to do, you know. But he knew everything about me. You see, but Jesus, the people are so fickle. You know, one minute they're speaking all well about him and the next minute they've taken him out to the cliff. They want to throw him down the cliff. Of course, they couldn't do it. And, and it shows you that Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted to do and that when he went to the cross, he did it of his own free will and volition. They, they didn't force him there because they, they, you know, they weren't able to throw him off the cliff. They wouldn't be able to put him on the cross if he hadn't allowed them to put him on the cross. But look at this. He You know, he says... You know what? I'm out of here. He just got, just got up and went. And, and at this point in time, I believe, uh, he went to this town of Capernaum. Capernaum. Back to Matthew. So he gets over to Capernaum, this place, and, and it's over there, and it, and, and it becomes his base of operation. There were, you know, Peter's uh, home was there in Capernaum. And uh, the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, that just means the the two of the tribes of Israel who received land there during the time of Joshua. Look at verse 14. It says, To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet said. Jesus, Matthew again, is is one, one of the ones who gives us the most prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled. Why? Because he was speaking primarily to the Jewish audience and he wanted to show them how Jesus was the one who fulfilled all these prophecies. But here, this one really stuck out to me because notice it says, one of the things that sticks out to me in verse 15, it says it was Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles, meaning there weren't just Jewish people up there. There were Jewish people there. But there were a lot of Gentiles there and Jesus was was going to the Galilee and he was going to spend most of his life there. A lot of of Gentiles were there. A lot of people who were not Jewish were there. And that just happened through the years when the the nation of Israel was taken into captivity and taken out of the land of Israel and, and other people were brought in to resettle the land. There's people there from all different nations though. And Jesus is going to reach all different nations. He wasn't just there to reach these religious Jews in Jerusalem. He was there to reach all the nations. But I just love the the picture that we see here in verse 16 about the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a, a light has dawned. This picture of darkness and light. A great light has dawned. How many of you, I'm just wondering, and you don't have to let everybody else around here know, but how many of you are afraid of the dark? Turn off the lights, please. No, just kidding. <laughs> we couldn't get it dark in here if we wanted to in the daytime. I remember driving through Apenog, uh a few months back, and there was a power outage, but you know it was like it was like pitch dark. We we don't realize how much light we have around. Lights are on all the time. You walk through your living room, all the lights from the VCR and the little you know a digital converter box and all this uh, you know worldly stuff. Uh, you know they're all glowing everywhere, and, and you you can see where you're going. Or maybe you got those little plug-in you know um, uh, light things with the little. Uh, smelly stuff that comes out of them, you know, just so you can you you can see, but you can also smell good when you go by this thing, and and um, we don't really realize what how much light we have around us, but when it's really really dark, really really dark, it's like almost oppressive. If you've ever been to a place where there's no light at all, nothing anywhere, it's like, and you can't even see in front of you, and it's like you you you. Your, your eyes are wide open, but you're kind of putting your hand out so you don't fall and you can reach what's around you and, and you kind of feel it. And, and, and if it really gets to you, there's a fear that can kind of come. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I think I have in a few times in my life where there, there actually there's a fear that can, your heart just kind of starts racing because of the darkness. But you know, this world is full of darkness right now, isn't it? Even though the lights are on, Even though, you know, it's daytime outside, there's darkness all around us. And this is one of the biggest themes of all Scripture, I believe. This idea of darkness and light. In Genesis, what did it say? That the earth was without form and void and darkness was everywhere, covered the earth, right? And what did God do? What does it say? God said what? Let there be light. You see, he brought light into the darkness. We read those verses in in Micah where he said, you know, I'm in darkness, but God will be my light. God will bring me out of this darkness. God can make a difference. God can make a change. But I truly believe this statement that life without God is living in darkness. It says here they were living in darkness. And life without God is living in darkness. Life without God is living in darkness. Turn back to Psalms 107 uh, with me, if you will, please. Psalm 107. Psalms, of course, right in about the middle of the whole book. You can turn there. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 has like three or four different scenarios of situations that people find themselves in. It's an incredible uh, chapter in the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm 107, verse 10. It says, Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom. How descriptive is that? Darkness and the deepest gloom. Pri- prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the word, the words of God, and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. They sat in the darkness. In this particular case, how did they get there? Their own actions, their own, their own lives brought them to this place of darkness. I think too, sometimes we, we end up in darkness just because of our own choices. But there are other times that the darkness is just the way this world is around us. And and we go, wow, it is so dark here. You know, in Finding Nemo, right? (laughs) It's wicked dark down here. Remember that? It's wicked dark down here. i got to practice. I should have practiced. It's wicked dark down here. And sometimes we say that to God. God, it's so dark down here. How can I even survive the darkness of this life? Yeah, lights on, it's daylight. But man, you ever feel that way? Just, you're just going through this world, and like it's it's like it's dark. It's gloomy. It's there. there there's no hope around you. That just you know, you, you turn on the news and say, man, can you guys talk about something else besides how bad it is, how dark this world is, how many people murdered other people. Life without God is living in darkness, but God came to bring the light. And, and 1 John says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. No darkness whatsoever. The only answer to the darkness is God Himself. In, in that little corner of the world, in that little, little place called Israel, and, and spending so much of His life in that little area called Galilee, the light of the world came to shine. The light of the world that was going to bring light into this wicked darkness came to shine in His name is Jesus. Let's turn to the Gospel of John because John really picks up on this theme and, and, uh, and it's one of the um, things that, that he really deals with a lot. But we're going to look at a few verses there. John chapter 8, verse 12, I just quoted it, but let's read the whole verse because we want the context, but there's also a promise here. John chapter 8, verse 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Not just I am the light of Galilee, or I am the light of Israel. He says, I'm the light of the whole world. But he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, light of life. That's a promise. These, these kids were talking about, you know, uh, challenging people to follow Jesus. Well, it, you know, if we find ourselves in darkness, maybe we're not really following Him. Maybe we're on some other path. That doesn't mean that we're not going to see the darkness around us and we're not even at times going to experience it because, again, it's It's so pervasive. But to know the light of the world, to know the light of the whole world for you and to me is going is to uh, protect us from that darkness. Look at chapter 12, John chapter 12 and verse 46. John chapter 12, verse 46. He says, I, I have come into the world as a light. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. No one who believes in me should stay in darkness. There's, the, the way out of the light is so clear. Jesus made it so clear. Trust me, believe in me, he says. We see this all the way back in the Old Testament. David says to the Lord, he says, you are my lamp and the Lord turns my darkness into light. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, let let the light shine out of darkness. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. We read it in Micah, where he said, Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Turn back to John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19. Says, this is the verdict. We know John 3.16, but do we know what John 3.19 says? It says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness. I I, you know, again, as a believer, I I I say, how can that be? How can people love darkness? But this is what Jesus said: men love darkness because their deeds we're evil, and he says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. There's darkness and there's light in this world, and and you know, so many, you know, refusing to come into the light because their deeds, they're not willing to make any changes. They're not willing to give it up. They're not willing to repent. Not willing to make any turning change in their life. No, I, I'd rather just stay on the path I am on. So just forget about the light. I prefer the darkness. I'd rather stay here. How many of you know that? You, you've talked to people and they just say, you know what? Forget about it. I like what I'm doing. I like the life I'm living. I like this darkness. And it doesn't really make sense, does it, when you think about it? I like darkness. I love, you know, the money that I make from darkness. Jesus said later, he said, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. He said, put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. Put your trust in the light while it's there. Don't, don't waste the opportunity. So many people come to this place and they say, you know what, I'm not ready for it. I see that there's light, and, and maybe this person that, that uh, uh, one of them was talking about this morning, I see this light, but you know you can say, well, I, I really, I'm not ready for it, I'm not ready to go there. He says, put your trust in the light while you have it. Don't wait till another day. Don't wait till another chance, another opportunity. Today is the day, right? We don't know. We don't know. You know, you you heard in the news, you know, this famous person who had a tragic, uh, simple accident happen. Simple accident. She's learning how to ski, right? You know, you've heard the story. She falls on a beginner's slope with an instructor and and within a matter of hours, she's you know, in a, in a life-threatening situation and, and dies because of it. We don't, we don't know. And one, I heard a, a quote by one of uh, uh, her friends saying, you know, we do not know how fragile life is. We don't know what's going to happen between today and tomorrow. We don't know. I'm saying that today because I, I, I want you all to know that today is a day. Today is a day you live for Jesus. Today is a day you follow Jesus. Not tomorrow, not after I get this or after I get that. Today is a day we follow him. Whether you have been a believer for 30, 50 years, whatever, today is a day you follow Jesus. You walk in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light, he said. John said, First John, walk in the light as he is in the light. But maybe some of you have never, you know, you're still kind of wondering, what in the world is this all about? How do I, you know, how do I make a difference? How do I make a change? We just read Jesus, what Jesus said in two places. One, he said, believe in me. And, And another place he says, put your trust in the light. You gotta believe in him. You gotta turn your life and, and allow him to come into your heart and life, and you'll find out what light is. That's what it says back here. Let's turn back now and, and finish up here in, in this section of Matthew chapter four. He says, The people, they were living in darkness, but they have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The shadow of death, the shadow of death has got very, very long uh, reach, does it not? The shadow of death, it's it's really hanging over every one of us, the shadow of death. But he says the light has dawned. We know that and we think about that and we put that together with our understanding of the cross and the resurrection, that when he rose from the dead, he defeated death. And that shadow of death no longer has any power over us as believers, right? Right? Is that true? The shadow of death hanging over. But he says... Those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light is dawn. And, and from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Isn't that the same message that John the Baptist used? There really is only one map message. Turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to Him. There's only one message. It, it never changes. Someone said this, though, that the, this is the first text used by the Messiah... By Jesus, but it was his unwavering text throughout his life and his abiding text until the end. His kingdom was not geographical, not militaristic, not political, but it was spiritual. And the burden of of his message was this, change your hearts and minds, change your ways, change your master, and let heaven rule in your hearts. Let heaven rule in your hearts. Follow him, folks. That's what we're called to do today. When we go out of this place, we're called to bring a little bit of light just because of our light, the light who we are. We're sons of light. We're sons and daughters of light. And we go out in the world and, and Jesus said, let your light shine. The light that he gives and puts within us, those people around us. Jesus said, repent and turn to him for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's right here. It's right here today. Jesus, in the account in Mark, says this, and I'll close with this passage. It says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the time today. Today is the day. We're light. We're children of light. But a great light has dawned, and it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus, always will be Jesus. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Savior of the world, even though he only preached in the land of Israel and only gave that message in a very small corner of this planet, yet the Savior of the world, the light of the world is reaching us today thousands and thousands of miles from where he preached. Some 2,000 years from when he preached. And yet the truth is still today that he is the light of the world and that he brings light into my life. In the darkness that I face around me, he brings light because he is light. And he makes all the difference. God, we come to you this morning and, and, and whether we've been believers or, or we're not a believer we come and we turn to you again and say, Lord Jesus, we come to you and we, and we call upon your name. You are our hope. You are our help. You are the light that we need in this life. Guide our paths, Lord. Shine your light. Be the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our paths. God, we need it, you. We, we cannot do it without you. We desperately need you in this life. Today, We desire to live for you. Today we come to you. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but today we want to live and follow you. Help us to do that, Lord. We proclaim you as the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.